Welcome to Twisted Tales of Madness and Murder Presents Open House Our tale finds Peter, who is in his thirties, wearing a pair of pressed tan dress slacks, a white dress shirt, and a tie loosely dangled around his neck, mumbling to himself nervously as he paces back and forth in front of a two-sink vanity in an elegant bathroom. Peter suddenly stops pacing and puts his hands on the marble vanity counter and stares at himself in the mirror. Just breathe, idiot. <laughs> Gotta get a hold of yourself, buddy. Getting yourself all worked up for nothing. And when you do that, everything turns into a goat rodeo. Peter slaps himself across the face. Hmm. Oh, you can totally do this. All you gotta do is stay calm and stay positive. Peter rolls his head slowly from side to side, cracking his neck. It's all about staying focused and keeping your eye on the ball and all the damn cash you'll be getting for this place once you get them to sign on the dotted line. Peter reaches down and turns on the cold water. You sold a dozen just like this one. It's just another house. There's absolutely no reason you can't sell this one. Peter places his hands under the cold water and splashes his face. Big deal if this place has a morbid history. All that shit happened in the past. I'll just be straightforward and tell them the truth. Some unfortunate events happened behind these walls. But then I'll turn on my charm and roll right into my sales pitch and let this beautiful house sell itself. Peter turns off the water, then runs his wet hands through his black hair, slicking it back. <sighs> sell, sell, sell. Peter adjusts his shirt and tightens up his tie. What are you waiting for? It's now or never. Peter jumps up and down several times. Get your ass out there and sell this fucker. Peter takes several deep breaths, then walks out of the bathroom. Peter walks out into a large, well-lit living room where we find Gerald, in his forties, a tall, bulky man, dressed casually, standing in the middle of the living room, looking around. Peter, rubbing his stomach, opens the front door and looks out, then closes it, then turns around. If you ever find yourself at a dollar store contemplating whether or not you should pick up that can of meat, thinking to yourself, it's a screaming deal, <laughs> I strongly suggest you just turn around and walk away. Because the money you think you're saving, trust me when I say you'll be spending that on toilet paper. <laughs> Peter chuckles at his own humor as Gerald gives Peter an inquisitive look. I would like to first start by taking a quick moment to thank you for allowing me this opportunity to show you this stunning house. It's a one-of-a-kind, nestled in a truly marvelous neighborhood. You literally couldn't ask for a better area. Gerald rolls his eyes. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to kick the tires and light some fires and give you the tour of this place. Gerald looks at his watch, then looks out the front window. Dang it. Gerald looks at his watch again. I was really hoping that my wife would be able to make it today. She must have gotten held up at work or something. 
Peter quickly bends down and ties his shoe as Gerald checks his watch again. <sighs> it's looking like she isn't going to be able to make it today or will be late, so I guess you might as well get on with it, and if she shows up, I will catch her up to speed. Peter snugs the laces on his shoes, then walks over to a large bay window in the living room and looks out at the well-maintained yard. Walking up to the front door, I'm sure you couldn't help but notice how fresh the exterior of this house is. We are talking magnificent condition. The roof and gutters were just replaced less than a year ago, and that amazing vinyl siding is only three years old and never requires painting. I mean, if it gets dirty, all you got to do is spray it down with a hose. (laughs) Um, The front and backyard have been meticulously cared for. Gerald walks over to one of the smaller windows and looks out at the yard. I like to consider myself something of a greenskeeper when it comes to yard work, and I must say, whoever has been caring for this yard certainly has a green thumb. Peter, nodding his head, continues looking out at the yard. Well, I know for a fact that not everybody is keen about doing yard work, myself included. (laughs) So, you must know that one of the added perks of this house is that it comes with a landscaper that has been prepaid for the next three years. You will not need to lift a finger, and that yard will always look great. Gerald perks up and looks at Peter. That is outstanding, because like I said, I'm pretty damn good with yard work, but my work schedule is... Very hectic, and it takes up a good portion of my time, putting the pressure on my wife to do it, and she hates yard work. If it was her choice, she would be perfectly content with gravel and concrete. Peter sighs, then turns from the window with a look of concern across his face. As much as I would love to just go on and on about how amazing this house is and all the great things it has to offer... I do have one piece of information that I must inform you about that you may find disturbing and unsettling and may in fact change your mind about purchasing. Gerald, with a look of concern, scratches his head and stares at Peter. Well, this certainly took a turn I wasn't expecting. Unsettling and disturbing information? Peter, nervous, rubs his hands together. I figure it is best to just come right out with it. I could hem and haw my way through the information about what happened here, sugarcoating the heck out of it, but I've always believed that honesty is the best policy. A salesman that's honest. What's next, frogs falling from the sky? Peter slowly paces back and forth. What happened was that the previous owners of this home were murdered in it. Gerald's eyes grow wide as he stares at Peter. Murdered? Peter holds his hands up. I think it's very important for you to know and understand that this family wasn't murdered by some unknown assailant or career criminal. Because this neighborhood has an excellent crime prevention program in place that has performed splendidly. In fact, I strongly encourage you to check with the local authorities, who will be more than happy to give you the current crime rate numbers in this area, as well as the surrounding areas. One thing I do know about crime is that if it wants in, it's going to get in. Peter walks over to a multicolored control panel that is covered with small, numbered buttons. It is secured to the wall next to the front door. If having an excellent crime prevention program in place wasn't enough, 
This house comes equipped with a top-of-the-line security system that is monitored 24-7. I mean, this thing is the cat's meow. Peter flips an additional panel open, revealing more buttons and studies them as Gerald walks up and looks at them. I tend to think that alarm systems have a habit of providing a false sense of security. I mean, when you stop and think about it, the folks that are doing the actual monitoring of what I am sure are countless customers, they're probably only getting paid minimum wage. So do you really think they're focused on your safety, or are they trying to get themselves into a better line of work? Peter glances back at Gerald, then in the other direction, then back at the panel. Looks like something right out of Star Trek or one of those other high-tech space shows. Peter flips the panel closed, then steps away. Unfortunately for the family, they could have had a dozen different alarms and not one of them would help. What happened here was a crime of passion. Gerald turns his attention away from the control panel and focuses back on Peter. Crime of passion? Peter clears <clears throat> his throat. Now, from what I've been told and what I've been able to put together, the husband worked a night shift at some kind of fabricator at one of those machine shops. One night he went in for a shift and was greeted with a pink slip. We find Mark Santos in his 40s, the night supervisor at a fabrication shop, sitting behind a cluttered desk in an even more cluttered office. He is looking up at a figure who is holding a pink piece of paper and a box filled with gloves, boots, safety gear, and a welding helmet. I really wish I didn't have to do this, buddy. But this is a union shop, and I gotta follow union rules and go by seniority. You are one hell of a welder, so you should find yourself in another job in no time. The figure stands in silence as Mark hands over a folder. That there is all the information you'll need should you decide to keep your current medical plan and what it'll cost you. Mark looks down at all the paperwork on his desk, then looks back up at the figure. I wish I had more to give you, but that's all I got. Mark sticks his hand out. I really hope everything works out for you. The figure shakes Mark's hand, then walks out of the office. Gerald sighs in disgust. <sighs> that seems to be happening more and more. Apparently, he took that news rather well and just cleaned out his locker, wishing everybody the best with a smile on his face. The companies just don't care about the ones doing all the work anymore. The American worker has become expendable. Peter paces back and forth. Unfortunately for him, this wasn't the worst thing that he'd have to deal with on that night. Gerald watches Peter intently. He came home to find his wife in their bed with another man, as their baby slept in a crib in the next room. The figure, standing in the doorway of a bedroom at night, watches as his wife, Beth, in her thirties, kneels on the bed in front of Tim, who is also in his thirties, who is thrusting into her. Oh my god. Your cock feels so amazing. Oh, fuck me harder, baby. Oh, just like that. Beth moans in pleasure as Tim thrusts harder, almost knocking her into the headboard as the figure turns away. The figure walks into another bedroom and stands over a crib. 
looking down at a sleeping baby as Beth and Tim's moans of pleasure can be heard through the wall. The figure clenches its fists, turning them white, then walks out of the room. Gerald shakes his head in disgust. Holy smokes, that's terrible. Talk about kicking a man when he's already down. First he gets shit-canned, then finds his old lady bumping uglies with some other guy. So with his world unraveling right in front of him, he just snapped. He killed everybody in the house. His wife, their lover, their baby, even the family dog. When the police arrived, they found him dead as well, due to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. That's so horrific. How in the world could somebody kill their own family? I can understand getting angry and all, but actually killing them? We live in a very unsettling time. I realize that what I've just informed you of is disturbing and depressing, but we must remember that all these things happened in the past. We must concentrate on the future, because this house has years and years of happy memories to produce. Memories that could be yours. Peter looks around the living room, then points up at the vaulted ceiling. You cannot tell me that this living room isn't the best you've seen. It's perfect. I mean, when was the last time you've seen such open space with so much natural light and such spectacular vaulted ceilings? The options for this room are endless, and if you like to entertain, this room will accommodate all those needs. The figure wearing the generic dark gray welding helmet, along with faded, dirty blue overalls, black steel-toed work boots, and dingy leather gloves, holding a bloody butcher knife, kneels on the living room floor in front of a disemboweled golden retriever. The frantic screams from Beth can be heard begging for help down the hallway along with the distressed cries of the baby. The figure takes the knife and cleans the blade on the dog's fur, then tucks the knife into his belt and slowly stands up. Gerald looks up at the vaulted ceiling. I must admit, I do like the vaulted ceilings. They tend to really open up the room. You don't feel so restricted and confined like you do in most houses, like you're going to hit your damn head. Peter walks over to the entrance to the kitchen. Well, I must say, if you were fond of the living room and what it has to offer, wait until you see what this kitchen has in store for you. Peter flips the light on. I know we live in a fast-paced, crazy environment where most people are eating out or getting their food delivered by those car services, but if somebody in the family is into cooking, then this kitchen will help transform them into a culinary genius. Peter stops in the middle of the kitchen and turns back to the entryway where Gerald is standing. This kitchen was remodeled two years ago, but still looks brand new. Just look at those cherry wood cabinets. They were obviously special ordered and not just plucked off the shelf of a big box store. <laughs> Some thought went into the design. Peter walks over to the counter and gently runs his hand along the top of it. These amazing marble countertops really help bring out the color in the tile flooring. Really makes them pop. Gerald looks down at the floor. Almost looks green. Peter steps up to the oven, gently running his hands over the controls. Just look at this beast of an oven. 
This thing has every bell and whistle you can think of and then some. You could probably literally cook several dinners at once. Beth's screams continue to echo through the house. The figure walks into the kitchen with the crying baby in its arms and stands in front of the counter that is littered with margarita drinks and knocks one of them off, smashing it against the far wall. Reaching up, the figure opens the microwave and shoves the crying baby in, then slams the door shut. The figure stands and stares at the microwave with its index finger hovering in front of the power button. The figure presses the power button, turning on the microwave and watches the crying baby spin round and round. All the other appliances are top of the line as well. The only thing you're missing is the microwave, but as you can see, there is a spot for one right above the oven. Gerald walks over to the range and looks up at the empty space above it. What the heck happened in the microwave? Seems kind of weird they did all this work and didn't bother to put one in. Peter reaches up and opens several of the cabinets. If running out of room is a concern for anybody, then this kitchen is for them. These extra-large cabinets will have your storage needs covered. Gerald turns his attention to Peter and the open cabinet. Having extra space is always a good thing. Peter closes the cabinets, then walks over to the refrigerator. Oh, have you seen this type of refrigerator yet? Peter opens the doors to the refrigerator. They have the freezer portion down in the bottom as opposed to being on the side like your typical side-by-side refrigerator. I happen to have one of these, and at first, I didn't think I would like having the freezer on the bottom. But, let me tell you, it does free up space. Gerald peers over Peter's shoulder into the refrigerator. That's a behemoth of a fridge. Peter shuts the doors to the refrigerator and walks over to the sink and turns the faucet on. Huh? Tell me that's not impressive water pressure. With this kind of pressure, stuck-on food doesn't stand a chance. Peter laughs as (laughs) Gerald watches the flowing water. When the kitchen was remodeled, they also pulled out all the old plumbing and had it replaced. That's good to hear since working on plumbing isn't my strong suit. It always seems like I make the problem worse. What was only a drip turns into a full-on waterfall. Peter turns the water off. Well, I could stand here and rattle on and on about how great this kitchen is, but I've got to show you the rest of this astonishing house. The figure stands watching the blood-covered glass of the microwave, mesmerized by the sickening sounds as Beth can still be heard screaming. The figure suddenly smacks the side of its head then walks out of the kitchen. If you would be so kind as to follow me, I will go ahead and show you the bedrooms. Peter walks out of the kitchen as Gerald quickly glances over the kitchen one last time before following Peter. Peter walks down the hall with Gerald trailing behind. 
The figure walks down the hall, dragging its hand against the wall, knocking off all the framed family photos onto the ground, smashing them as Beth screams for her baby. Peter stops at a door and opens it. Now, the first bedroom I would like to show you is the master bedroom. Beth, wearing only a red bra and panties, lays at the foot of a king-size bed with her hands tied to the legs of the frame. Tim, wearing only a pair of boxers, lays on the bed unconscious, bloodied and battered. His hands have been tied together behind his back. His legs are also tied together. A piece of duct tape has been placed over his mouth. Beth, frantic and scared, struggles to break free. Beth looks up at the open door and finds the figure standing motionless. Don't do this. Please, just let us go. I had every intention of telling you, but I just couldn't find the right time. Please, God, just don't hurt my baby. Where's my baby? What did you do to her? The figure tilts its head slowly from side to side, as if trying to comprehend Beth's questions as Beth thrashes around. Where the fuck is my daughter, asshole? Fucking say something already! The figure charges over and grabs Beth by the throat, causing Beth to struggle to breathe. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get angry. Just, just, just please. Don't do this. The figure continues to choke Beth when Tim, moaning, wakes up and stirs about on the bed, drawing the figure's attention. The figure pushes Beth away, smacking her head against the bed frame. Beth takes several deep breaths, refilling her lungs with air as the figure casually stands up and looks at a woozy Tim who is struggling to free himself from the restraints. Wait, just stop for a second and listen to me. Please, just just stop what you're doing. We could talk about this. The figure pulls out a roll of duct tape, tears off a piece, and forces it over Beth's mouth, then drops the roll of duct tape on the floor, then grabs Tim's bound legs and jerks him off the bed. Tim slams his head against the hardwood floor as Beth screams into her gag as the figure drags Tim out of the room. Tim glances back at Beth just as he is dragged out the door. Peter steps into the large master bedroom and walks across the polished hardwood floors and stops in the middle. Being in the business I'm in, I've had the opportunity to see a large collection of master bedrooms. And let me tell you, this one blows me away with its size. Not only do you get a lovely little reading nook that I guarantee any book lover in the family would instantly fall in love with, you also get a walk-in closet. Peter sticks his arms out. There is so much space in here, you could actually put in two king-size beds and still have plenty of room to move around. (laughs) 
You know, if you were so inclined. Gerald stands at the door and looks in. Two king-size beds? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that just one bed would be sufficient. Peter walks over to a large picture window on the far wall that showcases a collection of vibrant green trees and bushes as Gerald steps into the room watching Peter. Another great thing about this property is that it sits right along a green belt. You would never have to be concerned about any new developments coming in behind you. Peace of mind is a beautiful thing. Gerald walks over and stands next to Peter, and they both stare out the window. I will say, my wife would absolutely love this. She has this thing about birds and how peaceful and innocent they are. Something tells me she would be seeing plenty of them here. Peter walks over and opens the door to the walk-in closet. This walk-in closet can definitely take care of all your clothing storage needs. <laughs> Gerald walks over and looks in the closet. This would work perfect considering my wife has enough shoes to start her own store. Gerald laughs as Peter walks over and stands under a smoke alarm and points up at it. I should mention that each room in this house is equipped with high-end smoke alarms that are attached right to the alarm system. <laughs> if one of these bad boys picks up smoke, it sends an alert to dispatch, who then gets the fire department out here in record time. Gerald looks up at the fire alarm. Unless you have any questions about this room, I would like to move on to the two smaller bedrooms. Show the way. Peter walks out into the hallway, with Gerald right behind him. The figure drags Tim, who thrashes from side to side, down the hall as Beth's muffled screams can be heard coming from the bedroom. Peter walks up to another door. Now, these next two rooms are your basic 8x10 size. If you have kids or are planning on having them, these rooms would be perfect for them. Peter opens one of the doors and walks in. Peter steps into the small room as Gerald walks in behind him. Like I said, it's your basic room. Gerald nods his head in agreement. Beth's gagged cries can be heard from the other room as the shadows from a teddy bear mobile that hangs over the empty crib bounce off the wall from the moonlight, seeping in through the half-open blinds. Peter walks out of the bedroom back into the hallway and walks over to the other door and opens it. Like I said, these two rooms are identical to each other, so no surprises. Gerald walks in, then walks back out. <laughs> it's the mirror image. Peter closes the door. Dang it, I always forget to show the garage. I don't know why I can't remember that damn thing. I should flow right from the living room into it. Peter walks down the hall and through the living room to a door with Gerald following. Peter walks down a small set of stairs into the spacious two-car garage as Gerald stands on the top step, looking down at Peter. Here we have the garage. As you can see, you can actually park two vehicles in here. <laughs> or you could take the route that most people take these days and use it as a large storage unit. Peter walks over to the wall and pushes a button that sends the garage door rolling up. Automatic garage door opener. 
These things really do come in handy on those nasty rainy days. Peter pushes the button, bringing the door back down as Gerald scans the empty garage. You've seen one garage, you've seen them all. I'm no grease monkey, so the garage really isn't that exciting of a place for me. The figure drags Tim, who struggles to break free, down the steps onto the concrete floor. The figure lets go of Tim's legs, then kicks him in the side with his worn-out, steel-toed boot, causing Tim to howl in pain. The figure grabs Tim's arms and ties them to a U-bolt that has been driven into the foundation of the wall. Please. The figure ignores Tim as he grabs his legs and spreads them apart, then ties them to separate posts that have been punched into the concrete floor. Tim raises his head, watching as the figure stands up and towers over him. What do you want? Do you want money? I can give you all you want. The figure holds up his index finger, stopping Tim, then walks up the steps and out of the garage as Tim struggles to break free from his restraints, but is unable to. Beth's muffled screams can be heard getting closer as Tim is able to push the duct tape down to his chin. Tim turns his head toward the door and watches as the figure drags Beth into the garage. Leave her alone, you son of a bitch! The figure glances over at Tim, then drags Beth down the stairs. I'm gonna rip your fucking head off if you hurt her, you piece of shit! The figure grabs an old wooden chair with a high back and forces Beth to sit down on it. Beth struggles. <sighs> but is no match for the figure's strength. The figure quickly secures her arms and legs to the chair, then steps back and studies Beth. Hey, motherfucker, look at me, not her. I'm the one you want. The figure turns toward Tim, then looks him up and down. Why don't you let me out of this and fight me like a man? Tim pulls on the restraints, but they don't budge. She doesn't love you anymore, asshole. Can't you understand that? The figure walks up the steps and out the door as Tim looks at Beth, who has tears streaming down her face. Are you okay, baby? Beth, continuing to cry, looks over at Tim and shakes her head no. I'll get us out of this. The figure walks back in, carrying the blender from the kitchen that is still half full of margarita mix. What are you doing? The figure steps up to Tim and dumps the contents of the blender all over his face, causing Tim to shake his head as he spits out the margarita mix. The figure walks over to a workbench and grabs a hammer. <laughs> Let's just talk about this. Tim watches as the figure walks back over and holds the blender right over Tim's chest then takes the hammer and smashes it, causing glass to cascade down all over Tim. Tim closes his eyes as some of the glass bounces up onto his face. The figure looks at the blender that now has just about an inch of jagged glass that surrounds the blades, then plugs it into a dirty yellow extension cord. Tim opens his eyes just as the figure jerks his boxer-style underwear off. 
What the fuck? The figure kneels down next to Tim, then grabs the blender, then pushes the blades tight against Tim's testicles and penis. Okay, okay, whatever you're thinking about doing, don't do it. For the love of God, please don't. Let's just talk about this. The figure turns the blender on and holds it tight against Tim as the blades proceed to grind up his genitals. Beth watches in horror as Tim screams out in agony and thrashes around on the floor as blood splatters up on the figure's welding helmet as a chunky, bloody pulp gathers in the blender. Tim's face is washed in sweat and blood as he lays still, unable to speak as the figure turns the blender off and puts it down. Tim's remaining mangled and bloody genitals hang from his body as the figure grabs a large industrial grinder and plugs it in, then stands over Tim's face. Please. Tim looks up at the figure just as it squeezes the trigger of the grinder, spinning the grinding disc at a dizzying speed. Tim closes his eyes as the figure pushes the grinder down on Tim's lower face, and the disc instantly tears away Tim's lips and skin as the figure drags the grinder back and forth until there is nothing left of Tim's face. Beth stares in shock as the figure drops the grinder on the ground and walks over and stands in front of her, holding the blender. Beth looks up at the figure just as it tears the piece of duct tape off her mouth. What have you done? The figure grabs Beth's head and forces what it can of the blender's contents into her mouth, then tosses the blender across the garage and stares at Beth's blood-covered face. The figure pulls out the bloody butcher knife. Go fuck yourself! The figure, without warning, drags the butcher knife across Beth's throat, slitting it open, then drops the knife and watches Beth die. Peter steps into the bathroom. Finally, we have the bathroom. And again, this is another part of the house that has been remodeled not too long ago. Gerald stands at the door looking in. Very nice. Double sinks. My wife will definitely like that feature. She always complains about my stubble being in the sink after I shave. Well, that concludes the tour. So, are you interested in purchasing this property? You would think after hearing about the history this place has that I would want nothing to do with it. But that's not the case. I want to buy it. The figure, covered in blood, stumbles into the bathroom with a shotgun in his hand and stands in front of the mirror, placing the shotgun on the sink, then pulls out a cordless phone from his pocket. The figure reaches up and pulls the welding helmet off, revealing a sweaty, crazed-looking Gerald. Gerald drops the helmet on the floor, then stares at himself in the mirror with a blank expression, then dials 911. 911, what's your emergency? There has been a terrible tragedy at my residence. Please, come quickly. What is your emergency? 
your emergency, sir. I killed them all. They're all dead. Sir. Gerald drops the phone in the sink, then grabs the shotgun and walks over to the bathtub and carefully steps into the tub and sits down, cradling the shotgun on his lap. Not the ending I was hoping for in my life, but so be it. Gerald places the tip of the barrel under his chin and pulls the trigger, covering the bathroom with blood and brain. Peter stands in the middle of the bathroom with Gerald looking at him when the doorbell suddenly rings, causing Peter to clap his hands together. All right, time to do this for real. I really need to sell this place fast because it gives me the fucking creeps. I always feel like somebody is watching me. Excuse me? What are you talking about? Peter looks at himself in the mirror, then looks right at Gerald, then walks right out of the bathroom, straight through Gerald. Gerald quickly tries grabbing Peter, but he is unable to grab him. What the hell? Peter walks down the hall toward the front door as Gerald comes stumbling out of the bathroom after him. Hey, you. I'm talking to you. What the hell is going on here? Peter walks out into the living room. I said stop. Something's wrong. I need your help. <sighs> okay. Don't forget the garage this time, dumbass. Peter opens the front door, finding Detective Spurlock holding a black backpack. Sorry for the delay, just making sure the plumbing was working. <laughs> Peter rubs his stomach. If you ever find yourself at a dollar store contemplating whether or not you should pick up that can of meat, thinking, it's a great deal, I strongly suggest you just turn around and walk away. <laughs> because the money you think you're saving, trust me when I say you'll be spending that on toilet paper. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you got pouring out your asshole. I'm here about the house. Peter steps aside. Um, please, come in. Spurlock walks in as Gerald, still stunned, falls to his knees, crying, then slowly evaporates into thin air. No. <laughs> Spurlock looks around. <laughs> Excuse me? Listen, you little shit stain. I ain't got time to stand here and have you blow smoke up my ass about how great this house is. I know all about this place, and uh, I'll take it for 40 grand off the asking price. Peter chuckles, then realizes that Spurlock isn't joking. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that isn't possible. The price is already low due to the tragedy that occurred in here. Spurlock <sighs> sighs. I'm not talking about the let's get creative with kitchen appliances and power tools fucked up shit that went on here. I'm talking about all the meth that was cooked in this bitch. Peter holds his hands up. Ah, I think you've got some bad information. No meth has ever been cooked in this house. Bad information? Are you a detective? Spurlock pulls his badge out and shoves it in Peter's face. You have one of these? No. 
I didn't think so, fuckwad. I am a detective and my information is solid. Peter shakes his head in disgust. What the hell is this? Isn't it obvious? It's me abusing my position of authority. You could call it one of the perks of the job. What? This is unbelievable. I sell you this house for that price, I barely get anything. The owners will get nothing at all. Cry me a fucking river. It's either sell me the place at the price I want, or I'll have this fucker condemned as a health hazard, and nobody gets shit. Spurlock's phone rings. Hello? Spurlock rolls his head in disgust. I'm doing it. I realized New Year's was over three months ago, but the guy was a total loner, Captain. I've been shown to pick all over town and getting nothing. I got one more witness I want to talk with about. That's right. Yeah, the lady that works over at the grocery store. Katie something. I'll be chatting her up at some point here. Spurlock clenches his fist. You can tell those cocksuckers at Internal Affairs to go fuck themselves. Spurlock pulls the phone away from his ear as he rolls his eyes, then puts it back to his ear. Fine. I will be there. Spurlock flips his phone closed, then hands Peter the backpack, who hesitantly takes it. What am I supposed to do with this? In that bag, you will find a sufficient amount of cash that will enable you to close this deal. What? You will also find all the prudent information required for all documents. The house will need to be in Gary Simon's name. Again, all that shit is in the bag. Gary Simon? Wait a second here. I can't possibly do this. You have to take your bag back. Peter hands Spurlock the bag, but Spurlock ignores the bag as he looks into Peter's eyes. I don't think you want to do that. Yes, I do. Take your bag. I would really hate to see something horrendous happen to either your lovely wife Stacy, or perhaps your young teenage daughter Becky. Peter stands in shock. How do you know about them? It'd be tragic if somehow they ended up taking a wrong turn down some alley and ran into a gang of the most derelict motherfuckers you could think of. These disease-ridden bastards would violate every orifice in your wife and daughter's body. Spurlock looks down at the bag, then back up at Peter. Are you sure you want to hand that back? Peter slowly pulls the backpack toward his body. Smart man. So... How am I supposed to get in contact with you when it's all done? No worries. I'll be contacting you. Spurlock lightly slaps Peter on the face. Just don't disappoint me. I won't. Spurlock walks out. This concludes the Twisted Tale open house. Keep those ears open for future episodes of Twisted Tales of Madness and Murder Presents.